Welcome back to the Gutsiest Brands podcast, the show built around understanding the DNA of gutsy brands by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. At GutCheck, we make it our business to understand brands. And over the years, we've learned that gutsy brands have a lot of common factors. We've identified four primary criteria that help us measure a gutsy brand. We feature brands that are empathetic, pioneering, bold, and demonstrate the power of and, those that see opportunity where others force trade-offs. When we find a brand leader we think embodies gutsiness, we invite them to the show to explore what makes them successful, what drives them every day, and to get their perspective on other gutsy brands out in the world. Gut Check CRO Jess Gedeke, a former leader at Nielsen, had the chance to speak with Todd Smith, the CMO of Traeger Grills and former group brand director of vitamin water at the Coca-Cola company. In today's episode, Jess and Todd discuss Traeger's fascinating campaigns that put consumers in the driver's seat, how inclusivity plays a role in marketing, and why Todd feels like he can relate to Forrest Gump. Let's see if you can keep up with all the powerhouse names Todd drops in this episode. Is anyone he mentions invited to your dinner party? Kick back and listen to another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. Todd, I am so happy to have you on the podcast today. Um, so give us an introduction to you and a little bit about your background. Yeah, so um, Todd Smith, I'm um, CMO Traeger. I've, I've been here about two and a half years. Uh, I've, I've had, a, had a great career, worked with, with a lot of great people, great brands um, that have helped me uh, get to where I am today. And um, you know, spent a lot of time working in the beverage industry, uh, worked a bit in uh, the human performance industry and elite athletes. Um, and then I've, I've recently moved over here over the past few years uh, to, to really join a really fun brand that's, that um, is, is like nothing other that I've ever experienced in my career. That's for sure. Uh, ever since we talked a few weeks ago, I've been paying special attention to Traeger and picking up on a lot of the things we see in market. So I cannot wait to, to talk more about that. But I also love your background because each role, it feels like built upon the prior role and your learnings and your lessons. So I'd love to start at the beginning-ish um, because you had a pretty powerful inter internship at Coke, no pun intended, but you worked on some pretty cool brands and learned some big lessons. Can you tell us about what you worked on there and some of the things you learned? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had an internship um, after my first year of business school and um, I, I, Coke was the company that I wanted to get an internship with. I was making a career change into brand management um, and I felt like it would give me great training and um, learn from a lot of other great marketers. And I landed on the Powerade brand and it was um, a great experience. It was a fighter brand at the time at less, less than 10% of the, of the sports drink category. Um, this is back in, in early, you know, it's like 2003 and, uh, or 2002 when this was. My project was like, all right, we're a fighter brand. How do you think differently? Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, you know, I, I, I'm always you know, try to, you know, the great thing about a fighter brand is that you can move quicker, take bigger risks. Um, it's not turning the battleship so much, um, but also, you know, in a company like Coke, we looked and said, all right, what's something that is an advantage that we have that other, that, that our competitor didn't have in the, in the, you know, the, the, the behemoth in the category uh, was Gatorade at the time. 
And, you know, the, the real opportunity was to take advantage of other resources that maybe were a strength for you that your competitor didn't have. And when Coke, um, one of the big strengths that Coke has is their food service business. So think of everywhere where you can get a fountain beverage. And most restaurants that you go into, um, sports arenas, uh, rec centers, Coke is predominantly the brand that you find, mm-hmm. find there. And um, there was an opportunity to really think differently about form factor of product. So we, we were looking at, okay, how can we utilize this food service channel as, a, as an opportunity, one, to drive trial, but also just um, take advantage just from a distribution standpoint. So I was able to partner uh, with the food service team, partner with the McDonald's account, which is, you know, at the time it was the largest food service restaurant in the country or in the world. And um, partner with them to come up with a formulation of, of Powerade and Fountain um, that served as a trial vehicle. So we were able to test it at McDonald's, get some great learnings, and then it rolled out across the country. Um, and uh, it's, it's kind of fun today to even, even go to drive through there and you see it and it's offering Powerade there. If I, if I take my kids there, which is kind of cool to see, think back over where that all started. Yeah. Do you tell your kids about it, that you were part of getting that on, on the fountain? They don't understand that. They, <laughs> they, they, yeah, yeah. they scream the one power that makes me feel good. Yeah. Well, what a tremendous experience to have at the front end of your career. And, you know, one of the things we talk about when um, we think of gutsy brands is, that, is this idea of empathy and really having that um, intentional focus on the human being that's buying your products and services really throughout all of your innovation and marketing activities. And part of empathy is putting yourself in the shoes of others. And so I was thinking about your experience as an athlete yourself and how that had to have impacted how you led brand activities at both Powerade as well as Exos. So can you talk a little bit about what impact that had? Yeah, I I think first off for any marketer, it's important to be passionate about your brand. And for me, um, my experience with Powerade and then at Exos later was really easy. Um, You know, I was... uh, yeah, power resonated with me off the bat. I was a bit of an underdog. Um, I walked on a Division One baseball program. Um, the positioning of being a fighter brand resonated with me, and I, and I, and I, it was helped me understand being the mind of a of a youth athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the funny thing was is that I I grew up in the town where they have the Gatorade Sports Science Institute, so it was a bit of a flip on. Oh, interesting. Uh, you know, yeah. for the brand that I worked on. Um, and then at Exos, you know, I, it, that was a little different. Um, that was the the tip of the spear of professional sports. Um, that company is is known for essentially training around forty percent of the entire NFL draft, military, tactical athletes, um, and other and other um, really high performers. And you know, for me, it was it was having empathy meant to me is that uh, even the, these elite athletes, what you really realize is that. Uh, what makes them elite is because what's above the neck and how they think of things from a, a mental standpoint, preparation standpoint. Um, now I wasn't the most physically gifted athlete. So like, you know, the things that I relied on was kind of the mental part and, uh, of the game and, and being kind of one step ahead. So the stuff that Exos was doing to work with these kind of unbelievable athletes, um, it, it resonated with me. And as we worked with them and other people, um, I, I felt like I had, had something to draw on from an empathy standpoint there. Yeah, definitely. And I, I really like, in addition to putting the athlete's point of view and in some of that um, exos piece of things, also putting that 
uh, competitive spirit as a fighter brand and how you must have employed some of your own mental tactics uh, approaching the big guys in the category. So that's an interesting correlation there. So we honor brands and founders that pioneer new paths. And as I was looking at Traeger and doing some research, you know, Traeger really innovated in a category that hadn't seen innovation since the 70s. So I'd love for you to talk to us about how is Traeger innovating to stay relevant and also what attracted you to be part of that brand? Yeah, it, it, the company, you know, it's, it's really come onto the scene of late, but it's been around since 1987. Um, mm-hmm. It's a company that, that created the, the wood pellet grilling category. And it was something that was, you know, really, it was founded in the Pacific Northwest had a really cult following small group of, of people that really uh, were attracted to the proposition and the brand. Uh, you know, when I looked at the opportunity, uh, to me, it was exciting because as you mentioned, the, the, the last real innovation in grilling was the propane tank in the seventies. Um, and as I dug in and understood um, the company, the brand that the team had built, that was, that I thought was amazing. The community, um, this, this is a community of consumers that, really owned our brand much more than, than uh, we do here in the marketing team. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a passionate group of consumers. And these are consumers that get Traeger tattoos and name their kids Traeger. I mean, it's, it's something that I've never seen for, a, you know, a quote-unquote appliance, uh, an outdoor appliance that, that consumers have that, that represents who they are. Um, but uh, awesome management team here culture and and is what I saw as an opportunity really you know it's a it's a brand that has about three percent household penetration of, of people that own grills and you know 13 percent on awareness which is low um, so it's nothing but opportunity but I think what's what's centered around this disruption in the wood pellet grilling category is is a this product experience that has been created um, that's different than what people traditionally would do um, you know on the weekends of firing up a charcoal or propane grill. Um, It's something that people, um, you know, it's really looking at consumers, uh, the consumer journey, understanding how people cook, what the opportunities are, really having empathy for the consumers and designing products um, really that are centered around that consumer experience. I think that's what we, what we see. We see, you know, extremely high net promoter scores. We see, you know, 80% of our consumers refer six or more people to the brand. And I think a lot of that starts with, you know, starting with the consumer, um, uh, being, creating disruptive, engaging products that really create a better experience. Mm-hmm. So did you just say that every user recommends to six people? About 80, 80% of people in our community recommend on average six people, wow, which is, which is amazing. And yeah. that's, that's, that's something that, um, you know, it's, it's something that people want to tell their friends about. They want their friends to experience a great meal. Um, and when those people do, they, they go off and they're interested in the brand um, themselves. So it's, it's something that's really powerful. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about that Traegerhood because it's, it is such a passionate group of, of people. How do you tap into that community ongoing? Yeah, it's, um, it's a passionate community and, and it's, it's, it's folks that are very engaged on social media as I mentioned, the word of mouth and, and kind of uh, referral is, is, is super powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we look for, we, you know, we, we feel like we're gardening more than anything in a lot of ways <laughs> of uh, making sure things are, you know, the community is, is kind of off on its own. There's a lot going on, a lot of conversation about what people are cooking. Um, 
discussions about products, uh, different points of view and points of view and debate around uh, different styles of, of cooking. Um, and it's it's awesome to to kind of be part of. And what we look at is, you know, we, we want to be part of the conversation. We don't want to drive it because we feel like the community does an amazing job of that. But we try to think of different things, like what are some different things that we can do that kind of spike the community? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I try to think of it like catnip for the community of like, how do you how do you drop different things in? So examples this year, uh, the last probably four months, um, around uh, January, February time frame when you've got NFL playoffs and the Super Bowl, we've got different kind of grilling challenges that we'll throw out with different recipes and people to post their, their content on social media, um, select select winners, you know, have a chance to win Traeger flags, or I've got a, I've got here a uh, oh that's Traeger, serious uh, game day Super Bowl <laughs> ring, uh, you know, if you will, for people in the community. Or, you know, we launched a limited edition uh, meat sweats, kind of a lifestyle sweatpant that had, uh, you know, some, some um, places where you can latch on spatula or tongs. We had a custom camouflage, which was something that our designers created. It was camouflage with, with kind of hidden cow patterns into it. But these were limited edition sweatpants that were sold for you know, over a hundred dollars that sold out in two hours on our website. Oh my gosh. Um, or <laughs> I think of our April fools joke this year, where we uh, basically said that we had uh, wheat pellets that we were selling and um, it linked off to a product page on our website that consumers went to. And, you know, kind of the joke, the joke was revealed, but we had consumers calling in we had customers calling saying, why do we know about this? Why can we make this available? And, and so like, we just have some fun. And it, and it goes down to uh, what we had this past weekend, uh, Traeger Day. It's an annual holiday where it's kind of a celebration of all Traeger owners in the community. Um, and it's really about just, you know, cooking something, sharing it with your friends and family. Um, and it comes back to our larger mission, which is uh, bringing people together to create a more flavorful world. And, you know, both kind of flavor in terms of the food that you're putting on people's plates, um, but also just to kind of in how you're living your life. So. I think we, we take that that approach and that spirit as we think about the community. It's, 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 it's something that we deeply respect and look for ways to make people's lives better. It must be such a fun job to come up with some of that catnip as you described it, because there's no shortage of ways that you can engage over the course of, you know, of the year. And one thing that strikes me is that you might hear that and think, oh, that's a super kind of macho type of, you know, community or, or positioning. But when I've looked at some of the advertising and I've dug in, it strikes me that you have a very gender inclusive approach to marketing. Is that something that you guys talk about and do pretty intentionally? Yeah, it, it is. And, and um, it's something that we feel like we have license to do. I mean, you think about grilling stereotypes, um, you know, the expression that many people are familiar with is go, go man the grill. Or, um, <laughs> right. you know, I think of, you know, the imagery in grilling is, is uh, Norman Rockwell kind of uh, the mail out by the, the, the grill, or I call it kind of game and game of Thrones advertising, which is like flames and iron. Um, but, you know, when we think about our community, it's, it's diverse. Our product is very approachable. It's much more of an outdoor oven. Um, and, I, you know, we, we feel like we, we try to be diverse in many ways beyond even gender. Um, and it comes back to the mission that I mentioned before. And um, we feel like it, we're, the, our consumers are, are, it's a diverse group um, within the community. 
Um, and we try to reflect that in our communications and the partners that we work with. Um, and, and for a brand that um, is about inclusivity and bringing people together, you know, we, we feel like we have license to be there. It feels very authentic coming from the brand. I agree. So let's uh, move away from Traeger for just a moment because I can't miss the opportunity to talk about um, your time at Vitamin Water. Because one of the things that we really honor in gutsy brands and gutsy leaders is standing behind bold ideas, even if they're not well understood at the time. And I'm fascinated by this period of time, which feels like decades ago, but when some of the social media tactics and campaigns were really new and brands were just scratching the surface. And I think at Vitamin Water, you had a particularly unique experience. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it was, it was around 2008 or so. And it, it was it was during the time when Facebook opened up the platform to brands. You know, it wasn't just something that people used at universities, but um, brands that are an opportunity to engage and build audiences online. And at Vitamin Water, we were always leaning into, into things. Um, and we, we wanted to be early adopters. You know, we felt like we had a consumer that connected with that. And Facebook was a platform at the time that, that we just went all in on. Uh, we had a very engaged community. And also at the time, there's a lot of kind of noise from a PR standpoint. Um, there's consumers asking, well, what's inside this, this bottle of vitamin water? Is there real vitamins? You know, isn't it all sugar? Isn't, you know, what's, what's really inside there? It's artificial. And a lot of that was not true. Um, these, these concerns that people had. And I think like you, if you look at what people normally do, your PR 101 is like, all right, stand up, put out a message to say that this isn't true. And instead we, we said, you know what, the best way to, to teach people what's inside the bottle is, is actually let them create it themselves. So um, there's been a lot of crowdsourcing over the years, but this is not too much had been done in this space at the, at the time. And, um, you know, we, we had about a half million fans that people, or people that liked our, our Facebook page. Um, and so what we did was create this, this interactive uh, game where people could create their own flavor of vitamin water. So it started off by with a quiz of asking a, you know, questions about people's lives to understand what functionality might they need. Do you need more energy? Do you need to just chill out a little bit more? What are some things that we could pay off from a functional standpoint? Um, so you had your functionality. Then we let consumers un, uh, try to decide what flavor they wanted to be. So we used different word clouds around like what was trending um, at the time online in terms of different flavors and conversations and people were able to create the flavor. Um, Consumers were then able to, to, to choose which color. And then the big part about vitamin water that I think that was really part of the special sauce was the, the romance copy on the, on the package. You know, we talked about it. Um, it was kind of Seinfeld humor in some ways. That's a bit of a throwback, but um, yeah. uh, kind of, and, and really like talking to a friend. And we let consumers create the romance copy on the package. Um, some people were created, they could create their own. We had another option where people could use almost like a Mad Libs type of, yeah. uh, type of uh, you know, game to, to, to create their label. And then so we had, we had um, gosh, hundreds of thousands of, of versions created by consumers. They're sharing on their social networks with their friends. And then we had, we were able to have um, really a vote at the end from, the, from that community and we launched uh, the product the next year uh, based on this voting in partnership with Facebook. We had Facebook on our packaging. It was, it was fun. It was, it was something that I think made a lot of people nervous at the start, but 
it was kind of part of the DNA of, of, of that brand. Um, and it was something that we embraced and uh, it, was, it was super fun. It's it's so cool to hear that. So you said around 2008 is when this this happened. Yeah, so this was, is, yeah. yeah, this is before AI, this is before machine learning, all the things we know now of how to learn from what people are giving us in terms of preferences and how to allow them to create personalized experiences. So to think back to doing that in 2008, and um, I imagine that people felt so close to what they had created. And so I'm curious, can you talk about how that product did in market? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, was, the cool thing about it is that when we launched it, we, we, we launched it, uh, kind of announced it on that community first. And, mm-hmm. you know, those those people were the first ones that, that went out and uh, to pick it up and try it. So it was, and then, you know, we, we had a, an additional kind of momentum with that with consumers after they were trying it. So it was, it was, it was something that uh, to me, you know, I think like it taught me early on that how much the consumer owns your brand more than a quote unquote brand manager does. And I think yeah, it's, it's taught me a bunch of lessons that I've tried to take through my career. Sure. So another characteristic we really value in Gutsy Brands is this idea of the power of and, and that is seeing opportunities where others might force trade-offs. And you've led marketing in, in organizations of various sizes and therefore various budgets. So I'm curious, what are some of the more important decisions you've made in terms of marketing investment that have capitalized on an opportunity? Yeah, I think it's being flexible and being optimist or opportunistic. Um, yeah, I've worked on some brands that had very large budgets, other brands that had no budget. Um, and I think the key is, is being opportunistic. Um, a couple of examples I might talk about would be um, when I was on the Vitamin Water uh, brand, we, we worked with LeBron James and he was, uh, you know, he was deciding on where to go in the next stop of his career. He was with the Cleveland Cavs. This is when he had uh, they called it the decision and ended up going to the Miami Heat. Um, but what, the way this all played out was that we received a phone call about three days before the decision was going to happen. Um, it happened at a Boys and Girls Club in Connecticut that we found out about. We're able to go up there, have our brand kind of loosely integrated into that uh, Tell that the live event um, in the background, and you know, we were flexible. We get there. We took a risk to do this. We had creative that was supporting it. Um, it was something that you know, it's kind of a controversial event, um, but kind of being taking a risk, being opportunistic there was something that was was uh, something I'd do again. Um, another another example is when I was on the Powerade business again, fighter brand, small small budgets. We received a script from some of the studios that we were working with in, in Hollywood um, for a, a movie that was coming up uh, with Will Ferrell called Talladega Nights, The Legend of Ricky Bobby. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember reading the reading the great movie, by the way, but reading the script. And there's a there's a very famous dinner scene where uh, Ricky Bobby is saying grace and talking about he wanted to thank Powerade. Because every time he says Powerade, he's getting paid for it essentially. But then he said, "We'd like to also um, thank Powerade for launching Mystic Mountain Blueberry." Uh, <laughs> and and when we saw it, said, "You know what? We've got to do this." And so knowing that when this movie came out, that consumers would be interested, like, does that flavor exist? We created a limited edition, limited number of run of that flavor that consumers could get 
Um, and just trying to be opportunistic like that. And the PR value that kind of came with that was, was much greater than, you know, I think some folks might have said, oh, gosh, we can't do that. You know, that's it's going to take too long or people aren't going to want it. But we saw an opportunity there and, and really, you know, a movie that took off. Uh, so many people talk about that scene where we were kind of integrated and part of and lo and behold, Will Ferrell's wearing a huge Powerade leather jacket in the middle of it. So, you know, it was, it was something like that we moved quick on. And then even here, you know, during um, during COVID uh, at Traeger, we did a lot of prior, we, we did a lot of in-person live cooking classes, um, great experiential ways for people to experience the brand. But then, you know, in March of 19, couldn't do that. So the team was able to, to pivot, be opportunistic. We, instead of these in-person cooking classes, we worked across the country with different pit masters and other chefs that we work with to kind of bring the bring cameras into their home into their backyard kitchen to really create these live cooking experiences we call Traeger Kitchen Kitchen Live that ended up having 150,000 people watching a week you know as people were in isolation and looking for a connection and cooking more at home um, this served as an outlet for a lot of people and we could have just shut down these classes altogether but our team was opportunistic was able to to pivot this was something that used to be paid for became something that was free um, and also kind of paid off our mission of bringing people together to create a more flavorful world. So being opportunistic is really key. That's a great lesson. And also three amazing and very memorable examples going from LeBron James, Will Ferrell, and now into the, the Pitmasters and Traeger Kitchen Live. Those are all phenomenal examples. And I'm curious, that must take a lot of effort and energy for marketing teams to jump on those things and really make the most of them. Are there any characteristics of the teams that uh, have supported you to capitalize on those different opportunities? Yeah, I, th- I think it's people that live the brand. It's personal to me. I think, it, as I mentioned, you have to be passionate about the brands that you work for. I want to hire people that want to build things, um, people that want to create, people that want to live the brand, people that use your product. Um, I think that's key. I don't think something that people do a job and just turn off when they leave the office. Um, you know, people want people to have a good balance in their life, but you know, you want people that live your brand and without kind of that thinking of that, our team wouldn't have been able to pivot so quickly in all these opportunities because, you know, they're part of the community too. They're, they're a consumer and they live that brand. So I think that's something that's, that's really important. And, one thing we really try to do is, is, is celebrate being bold, taking chances. You know, the term like fail forward is something that, um, you know, you know, I think is important to really think about um, from your team so that people are willing to take those risks. Some of them are great. Some of them don't work out, um, but you got to celebrate the wins and the failures. Mm-hmm. Well, before we go into our lightning rounds, I want to revisit this Super Bowl ring. So give us one more uh, little snippet of it there. Okay. That's pretty serious. And I have to know what are some of the most memorable recipes that you saw? A lot of people do amazing recipes on brisket. There are smash burgers that people can do, um, reverse seared steaks. There's wings. There's people that, you know, really some of the most memorable ones of people that created, um, kind of game day spreads that looked like a stadium, but were filled with chicken wings around the outside. Um, veggies that they cooked on their Traeger, burgers, um, just kind of these epic burgers of essentially food porn that comes out that people see are, you know, just 
are, are you know, want, want to kind of uh, engage with that content, experience the brand. Um, and I think that's, that's what we see a lot from our community. So cool. I can't wait to check that out uh, this year. Okay, let's go to our first lightning round. So this is all about those characteristics, the DNA of a gutsy brand. There's no right or wrong answers. I'd love to hear your point of view on brands or campaigns that really struck you either as a professional or as a consumer. So the first, what's a brand or a campaign that you think truly demonstrates empathy? The one for me, and it's kind of personal, is um, I'm a father of two daughters and uh, three kids. Um, I I love the Dove Real Beauty campaign. Um, You know, when I think about my girls and at the time when that campaign came out, you know, it was, it really um, struck a chord with a lot of people um, and talking about real beauty. And I actually had a, a friend from college that was um, part of their campaign um, that was was in the campaign. So kind of from a personal standpoint, just thinking about um, my girls now, and I know that campaign kind of still goes on today, um, which is, is really cool to see. And it's something that um, you know, I think it was a bold and uh, bold move, but also just great empathy for, for, for women. Yeah. And I love hearing that from a dad. So that's very cool. What about a brand that was particularly pioneering, found a new way of thinking or doing business? Yeah, I, I think Airbnb is one that um, I had an opportunity when they were small to speak with some of their founders about what they were doing. And, you know, I think, you know, they, they, their background is really unique from a design standpoint, but you know, I think this idea of this sharing economy um, and people have stuff and maybe too much stuff or stuff they don't use all the time. And how can it be something from a, uh, you know, that they can that they can create a business around? And and this idea of the sharing economy, I thought was just really pioneering. Um, and, and obviously with what it's done to housing market, transportation, other things, you know, you see that ripple effect. I think the um, what they've done is is extremely pioneering. Mm-hmm. Yep, and quite disruptive. So that's a good one. Yep. How about a brand that stands behind bold ideas, even if not popular at the time? Yeah, I think this this one's been consistent for a while. I think Nike um, is one for me that I that stands behind bold ideas. Um, they've always had a point of view. Um, they've got a great agency partner that they work with that, that shares this philosophy. But I can think of when I was you know, younger, everything from Charles Barkley talking about, I'm not a role model um, to many of the things um, in recent years that that Nike has kind of stood behind. Um, They stand behind bold ideas. Mm -hmm. And what about a brand that saw an opportunity where others might force compromise? This one might be because of my background in beverages, but the one that I I like, I I like the liquid death uh, mountain water. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when people think about water and spring water, you know, it's, we've got to show imagery of mountains and streams and, you know, nature and all this stuff. And they just took the other approach. I mean, it's a black can, looks like an energy drink or a beer. Um, and, and they just lean into that from a personality standpoint. And I think where people would compromise and say, well, no, this is what water needs to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took a completely different approach and had a, had a very, a bold point of view and didn't compromise. So I, I, I think that's pretty gutsy. I love that one. It's a super provocative brand. I love that. Okay. So this last section is all about you. It's called spill your guts. Uh, 
Uh, what's the first brand you remember as a child? I, I'd go back to Nike. So Air, Air Jordans were, you know, I was a nine-year-old kid when the when the Bulls drafted Michael Jordan from North Carolina. I remember when that ad came out um, for the first Air Jordans. I, I remember where I was, and it was funny. Or the last couple of years when um, that documentary, The Last Dance, came out. For me, it, it kind of brought it all back when they mm-hmm. showed that Same. ad again, and mm-hmm. and um, I remember going to my Michael Jordan basketball camp in Chicago and wearing my Air Jordans with like every other kid there. Um, you know, I, that connection was was real, and um, it's something that I've that that probably started it all for me, and probably it's funny it sent me into the career that I'm in today. Isn't that interesting? Wow, how cool. And did you binge watch The Last Dance? Because I got so much comfort from that during the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. No, that was definitely, I was was watching a lot of that. Very cool. That's so wonderful to think how that might have spurred your interest in your career. Very cool. Uh, What about a book or a movie that best represents your career journey? You know, I'm I'm a big uh, Michael uh, Lewis fan. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so books like The New New Thing, um, was is something that's resonated with me. I've, I've liked disruptive brands, brands that create new categories. That's something that you know, has kind of been part of my career. Um, different things from Moneyball are, are things that yeah. I, I kind of resonate with me. But I think that really, it might be, a, instead of a book, it might be a movie, um, more like Forrest Gump. Uh, you know, honestly, like I think like back in my career where I've, I've had these opportunities where I've kind of been there with some of these amazing people and experiences. You know, I mentioned before about LeBron James, who was a partner for many years with when I was on Powerade and Vitamin Water. At that decision, we're standing there waiting for him to announce where he's going. And Kanye West walks into the, the this tiny boys and girls club in Connecticut. Or when I, you know, at Vitamin Water, at a photo shoot with Kobe Bryant and other people. Um, or at Exos, you know, these, these, uh, as I was mentioning about 40% of, of, uh, first round draft picks in the NFL. So like you're sitting there and Odell Beckham Jr. When he's coming out of college is preparing for the NFL combine in the draft. And you're, I'm kind of, I find myself in these weird situations where I'm around these amazing athletes and entertainers. And even like a month ago, we, we launched a new product here at our Traeger headquarters and somebody who is a huge Traeger fan and and um, Griller is is Ken Griffey Jr. who's standing there, and I'm talking to him. So it's like I feel a bit like Forrest Gump at times, where I'm kind yeah. of like around <laughs> some of these people in moments that um, you know I, I I've really looked at and respected over the years, and find myself in weird situations where where um, I bump into them, you know, because of my job, which I feel fortunate about. So can you host a dinner party and can I be invited? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was a major pause, Todd. I yes. don't know if I'm well, in a circle yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to prove yourself, but I, 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 no, I, I definitely, um, if you're ever out here, we'd love to, to host you. There's nothing better than food cooked off a of Traeger. And, um, you know, that's definitely something that I'd be happy to do. <laughs> I got you there. Um, okay. Back to the spill your guts. How would you describe your job to a child? Um, that's a good one. Uh, so I've got, I've got, as I mentioned, three young kids. Um, they would say, or I, I describe it as that I tell stories, make movies, or, or uh, create art, or build things for people that want to buy, buy stuff. Um, 
So that's that's what they that's what I would tell them. They would probably just you know point to I made a video on YouTube um, would be probably what they would say. Um, but which is still pretty cool. Pretty yeah. cool. What's one piece of advice you would give a business leader that's looking to help their brand be gutsy? Go into the market. Um, don't don't sit in the office. Um, speak to cons- speak to consumers. Listen to customers and obsess over the customer experience. Mm-hmm. So uh, the way to try to do that is consumer research. Make sure that you're you're always speaking with consumers and understanding, listening to customer service calls, um, looking at feedback that comes in. We go out in the market regularly to go meet with some of our best customers, understand what people are asking at the, at the ground level. Um, early in my co-career, before I got into marketing, um, one of the best things that they did is that they sent us out to the field um, to work in a, in a bottling center um, where we went out, we did early morning stocking of the shelves. Um, we w- went in with the sales team to talk with customers. We understood from the drivers what was happening because, you know, it's really kind of at the street level where your brand really comes to life with a physical product. Mm-hmm. Like the worst thing that somebody in, in, career that I do, it can do is just sit in an office. Um, you need to really understand what's what's going on and how an idea you have actually translates to how a consumer interacts with it. And, and so like really understanding that consumer journey, those pain points and, and kind of where your brand um, is relevant, where your brand is differentiated and how do you best communicate at those key points to bring people into your brand. Yeah, that authentic human experience is so important to understand. Couldn't agree more. Okay, what's the most used emoji on your phone? Uh, I'm not much of an emoji person. Um, I, I'm more of a memes person, but if there's one emoji, um, probably the fist bump. Okay. Is there a meme you could describe or is that off the table? It's more in the moment. Um, okay, yeah, that's yeah. situational. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, finally, if you haven't seen our Gutsy Brands playlist, it's pretty epic. And we'd like to know what song would you add to it? I put Under Pressure by David Bowie and Freddie Mercury. I feel like as a marketer, you need to kind of have a, your finger on the pulse of what's happening in, in pop culture, society, how your brand, you know, is part of that conversation. And sometimes you need to make quick decisions that turn out well, others that don't. And there's a bit of a pressure, which I think is what people in this profession enjoy and thrive on. Um, and uh, I think it's kind of what makes good brands great when you know when to kind of take those risks. Um, and also some brands when they stumble, but I'd say under pressure. Well, you've certainly shown that you can be under pressure and deliver time and time again with all the brands that you've touched. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. I learned a lot and I have a lot of movies to rewatch and things to, to relive based on this conversation. So thanks so much, Todd. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. Well, that was a star-studded interview, and I can't believe we talked to somebody who could drop some of those names, and I mean that in a great way. Yeah, 
I feel like Todd was a little bit of a Forrest Gump with everyone he's interacted with, but it was really fun to learn about and, and think about. There were two things that really stood out to me today. First, right off the bat, it's very obvious that Todd really has had a strong passion for all the brands that he's worked for throughout his career, and he truly does live the brand. And second, I enjoyed the discussion about Traeger's positioning. Yeah, those two aspects resonated with me as well. And I think one of the fundamental things that I learned is what could be a very macho positioning in the grill category, right? He said, man, the grill, for example, it's very different when it comes to Traeger's positioning. It really is about inclusivity. It's about bringing people together. It's about the human experience. And it became such a fun product line and category to talk about. So I really appreciated that part. Now, I know you spent a lot of time after that interview considering who your ideal dinner party guests would be when Todd hosts, <laughs> but let's focus on the takeaways. So what are they for today? First, I don't think I got the invite. Um, I think that he's totally he not included. He invited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's okay, though. I'll, I'll, I'll roll with it. So yeah, and some of my takeaways. First, um, I really appreciated the fact that Todd has been in a lot of different sized marketing organizations, and he talked about how being opportunistic that can lead to really bold action and bold decisions. But in order to be opportunistic, you have to live your brand. Otherwise, you'll miss those in-the-moment opportunities. And I thought his examples were so stellar. The first one, Dalatanga Nights, so hilarious. <laughs> that, you know, Ricky, Bobby character, thanking God for Powerade and for Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Being able to capitalize on that and saying, hey, what if we launch that product? I mean, talk about knowing who you are and what your audience will respond to. And I just love the fact that now when I see that movie scene, I'm going to think about it much differently. Another example of, you know, being able to see those opportunities is Traeger at the start of the pandemic, pivoting from in-person live cooking classes to now let's work with pitmasters to bring cameras to their homes, to their backyard kitchens. So staying true to the experience that they were looking to create, but flexing to meet the new realities. I thought that was another great example of being opportunistic. And you have to have major conviction in your brand's message to be able to hop on those kinds of opportunities. I loved those examples. And I found it really insightful to hear about Todd's experience in pioneering new paths in social media. And, you know, again, today, the things that he talked about with vitamin water might sound pretty commonplace in terms of digital marketing, but at the time having consumers build, you know, their own concept for vitamin water and making trade-offs between the functional benefits, the flavors, the colors, the romance copy, you know, nowadays in research, there's machine learning approaches to do this. Gut check has, has one, one way to do that. But at the time it was so novel and really put consumers in the drive, the driver's seat in a gamified way that hadn't been done before. So that was such a cool story to hear. And then one of my favorite topics, which is the concept of being a fighter brand. Um, you know, Todd talked about when you're a fighter brand, you can move quicker, you can take bigger risks. It's not about turning the battleship around. Uh, but I also like how the fighter brand mentality goes back to his days as an athlete. And he talked about, you know, athletic performance is not just the muscles, it's what's above the neck. It's the mental preparation that makes you a good fighter. And I thought that that analogy, it holds true for challenger brands. And I just love that association. And probably my favorite 
topic that we we discussed on this podcast is the triggerhood. I mean, what incredible advocacy. I totally geeked out after this conversation to look in more to the triggerhood. You know, Todd mentioned 80% of users um, recommend six people. Think about that word of mouth. Think about all those conversations happening out there. It must just be mind-boggling to that marketing team to, to think about the different ways to capitalize on that. And it it is a cold following. I mean, forget about like naming your kids Traeger and getting tattoos, but just the, <laughs> you know, the recipes, the contests, I mean, the sweatpants, like I just loved all the ways that he talked about engaging with that community and the fact that it's, it's their brand, right? Traeger is, is a brand that belongs to the people that, that buy it and use it. It doesn't belong to the marketing team. I thought that was such an authentic way to talk about uh, brand's role. I loved the engagement with the market. And, you know, there is a draw to Traegerhood. And I have people in my life who identify as such. And it's just amazing to see that they're fully ingrained in this brand and are serious advocates for Traeger. So it is very unique, I think. Um, so I enjoyed listening to him talk about that as well. Yeah. And I think since his childhood, as he talked about, you know, falling in love with the Nike brand and the Air Jordans, I feel like Todd Smith is a guy that has always known what he wanted to do. And he has lived each of the brands that he's worked on. And I, and I think that is in a certain way, what gutsy leaders do. You don't take your work home with you. It's just a part of your life. And that really spoke to me. Um, and I think is, is a great characteristic of gutsy brands. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. If you like what you're hearing, please consider sharing our episode with a friend and leaving us a five-star review. See you next time.